Hi everyone, Brent Davis here today, just doing a quick introduction on this week's episode. We've got a really good episode this week with Ian Peake and had a really cool discussion with him about his coaching and how we go about how he goes about it, his research and all sorts of things like that. Just wanted to apologize in advance for a couple of audio issues. Um, I didn't realize when we were when we were recording with Ian that we were getting some feedback from his cable on his microphone. So um, apologies for that. I've taken out as much as I can, but you can still hear it a bit when he's speaking. But please bear with it. Um, Ian's got a whole heap of great information and I think you'll find the podcast really worthwhile. So um, I do apologize in advance for for that um, little audio issue that we had. Um, I also wanted to um, just give our socials a bit of a plug. So you can find the Coaching Uncovered podcast on Facebook under Coaching Uncovered Podcast. It's on Twitter under Coaching Pod. You can also find it on Instagram on Coaching Uncovered. So I would appreciate if you jump on those and follow the accounts. You can see the updates and the promos come out on that um, on those channels. We also have an email account. So if you've got any feedback or comments or questions or you want to talk about who you want to come and talk on the podcast, feel free to send me an email at coachinguncoveredpod at gmail.com and you can email that anytime and we can uh, you can send your comments through there and your feedback through there and we can hopefully get some extra guests on the show. So without any further ado, I will hand you over to the show and I hope you enjoy this week's episode with Ian Peake. Hi everyone and welcome to the Coaching Uncovered podcast. My name is Brent Davis and I am the host of the podcast. Now today we are extremely fortunate to have Ian Peake on the line. So thank you Ian for coming in and having a chat to us today. Uh, please tell everyone about yourself. Hi Brent, great to be here. Uh, yeah, my name is Ian Peake. I'm a 51 year old uh, PG professional, uh, originally from Scotland. I've been uh, overseas uh, working and living kind of in Central Europe. Uh, for the last 30 years, um, full-time golf coach, um, coach educator since 2004, Brent, and since 2013, pretty much uh, an ongoing part-time student as well, an academic student. So I kind of combine my daily coaching and coaching businesses with um, I'm a kind of ongoing learner as well. So that's kind of my story to date, yes. I'm I'm keen to I'm keen to go into your research because obviously you've you've taken that pathway as a as a PGA professional and gone down that research pathway. So you've got a master's degree, is that correct? Yeah, I've got a master's degree in sports coaching, uh, which I did at the University of Birmingham in England between 2013 and 16. And I've said before, I mean that really lit my fires. Um, I guess I went to uni for the first time. What was a 43? I think I was the oldest in the class by about 15 years, maybe 20 years. Uh, so certainly out of my comfort zone. Um, but And the kind of stuff I learned there, the first year really just changed how I saw the game, how I coached, um, how I saw my family life. And um, I finished my master's in 2016. Um, it wasn't enough for me. I really enjoyed the journey. I thought I wanted to keep going. And I started with my PhD in 2017. 
and um, that's uh, challenging getting the balance right uh, between family and work and income and and uh, getting a good balance there but loving that journey as well yeah what type of topics did you go down with your research path well, the research path was at the third year uh, of my master's, my third year of the, the MSc. And, you know, I've always been interested in, in success, but always, I guess, with a, with some selfish interest, always non-success. Um, I've always been, I guess, a bit of a thinker, or tried to be a bit of a thinker. And a lot of things that, that, one of the things that bothered me a lot was why wasn't I more successful as a player? So I started as an 11-year-old back in Scotland in 1980. Loved the game, fell in love with all the facets, the equipment, the tournament results, the golf courses, the history, and wanted to be as good a player as I could be. Very self-driven, very, very intrinsically motivated. Um, and I was really a pretty poor golfer. You know, I got down to kind of four or five handicap when I was 15, then didn't improve um, when I started to put more effort in and became serious. So I turned pro off handicap uh, five when I was 18, did my PG training, which I really enjoyed, uh, then had a spell as a mini-tour player, very average mini-tour player as well, and accepted I wasn't very good or good enough by far. You know, as a mini-tour player, I learned to shoot under par, but that was about two, three under, you know, never good enough. And I always wanted to know why, despite my efforts, was as bad as I was as a professional <laughs> standard. And so going to my going to my masters, I thought, well, again, that whole thing it was a little bit for me in the background. And I knew looking at other research, there wasn't a lot of stuff out there, or looking at why elite amateurs didn't make the grade. Read all the biographies of the players that make it and the stories, but. What about those that don't make it and their story, you know, in, in hindsight, in retrospect? So with my, my supervisor, Martin Toms, in England, um, I kind of tracked down nine uh, British and Irish elite players, amateur players, all play Walker Cup, you know, the kind of amateur version of the Ryder Cup in, based on GB&I versus the, the best um, players in the States. And I got to speak to nine of them that played between 99 and 2009 and really got to hear their stories, based on their own words, why they didn't make the transition to the pro game. So they'd been at the very top of the amateur game in, in Europe. They had some success in the States. They'd done well down your way in Australia. And they didn't uh, make it to the tour at all, to European tour. One player played one season only. Uh, as well as those nine, I spoke to a couple of others, but those nine became my core because they're all playing Walker Cup, were kind of recognised as being the best players in GB&I, in Great Ireland, and I tried to turn pro and didn't make it. So that was a fascinating year. That really changed how I saw coaching, how I saw what I was doing, and that kind of gave birth to a couple of new businesses and now my PhD as well. So, um, it's, it seems to be a common theme that, that players that go or coaches that go into that research realm, um, whether it's a formal education like you or whether it's just studying golf swing more, seem to come at it from a point of view that they're trying to improve their own game. So it seems to be that that type of person, it tends to appeal to that type of person who is who's grounded out to get to where they got to and then um, wants to find the reason why they couldn't make that next step. So I certainly that certainly appeals to me because I'm on, on that same path as you. I was a, a player, but I was not anywhere near good enough to, to be a to be a tool player. 
Yeah, so, doesn't that suck? <laughs> it, it does. I was, I was the same as you. I found out really quickly that there's way too many good players out there that are heat better than I am. So um, that is that is that is certainly a, a true story. So, um, how did you find that your your experiences playing and grinding it out has impacted you as a coach as you've gone along? Poor, good question. I mean, again, if I look back at the as I, as I say, wannabe player as a junior and then as a mini tour, a very average mini tour player. Um, I think there's a couple of things, Brent, there, again, based on the research of what I'm fairly sure about now. There's, so first of all, let's say I lack the physical gifts, okay? I was fairly sporty, but that whole um, picking a, a club up and hitting the ball well, easily, I kind of had to work at it. So I think there was definitely... In, in the kind of nature camp, let's see, talk about nature, nurture. In the nature camp, my elevator didn't go to the top floor, okay? <laughs> you know, just you go to junior tournaments and you'd see my colleagues hitting the ball further and better, shaping the ball better. So there's definitely some natural gifts weren't there, you know, which is okay. And then if we look at the nurture, I definitely... Um, the support team was missing as well, which I didn't know at that time. My mum and dad was supporting me, but were non-golfers. I, you know, my coach really didn't care. I guess I didn't show the kind of signs that he really kind of went the extra yard for me, which was I accept as well in hindsight. So really, I struggled on the nature and the nurture side. Um and I, I did my best. I loved it. A lot of my, my learning journey was perfect. You know, I had a lot of buddies that played, easy access. Um, there was loads of competition. Golf was on TV. The game was cheap to play. And actually between my home and the golf course was a, a, a golf equipment company that manufactured golf clubs. And I could stop off there on the way to the golf course, buy a club at a time for £5. What was that? Eight US dollars or seven US dollars, whatever it was. So there was loads of great stuff. And we know how tough it is to make the game anyway. But certainly in hindsight, um, my kind of, I was short on nature and nurture to become as good as I wanted to become. Um, and then, but then as, as you and I both know, Rick, you is, well, how much can the nurture make up for the nature? This is the great debate we always have. Are great players born? Are they made? And that's kind of where I'm at now with my PhD and, and my research, uh, looking at players that have made the European tour. I can't, unfortunately, talk about it. It would be unethical at the moment. That's kind of my ongoing journey to compare their stories to their colleagues that didn't make it. Yeah, I, I, would, I would tend to think, and obviously I haven't seen your research yet, or I would definitely think we – I've – shifted how I thought. I definitely thought nature had a bigger role than what it has, but I think we can certainly override nature with a with some hard work. I think we're definitely I think I'm definitely more in the nurture camp at the moment. Well me too as well, you know, I've got to say, um and again, say leaving my PhD studies to one side, which would be unethical for me to talk about, but just before that, the five years before that, I spoke to a lot of tour players off the record. Um, just chats and snippets and looked at other webcasts and the social support. I mean, we all go on a journey as coaches, as uh, I know you're a dad as well, as parents. 
And the social support is massive. The right social support is, I think, in huge in a lot of aspects of life. So there's personal drive, understanding your why is fantastic as an individual. Uh, maybe implicitly as, as a young player, just loving the game is fantastic, that, in, that intrinsic motivation. But having good support around you is massively influential as well. That could be mentors, people you look up to, you know, your peers, your parents, your coach, a school teacher, loads of aspects that kind of come together that I think can, um, from what I've found and seen in the research in the past, can certainly put nature in the background as far as golf goes. I um, it's interesting you say about that about that support group around them. We had a had a Jason Helman on the podcast just recently, and yep. um, he has got some pretty pretty serious junior programs going. And he yep. was um, talking about dealing with with the parents and getting the parents on the same page as what the coach is and what the kids are. And I would think that would be extremely important as a coach to make sure that the whole support team is um, on the same page and working towards that goal and they're all saying the same things because you can certainly do a fair bit of damage as a parent if you're not uh, coaching the right way, so to speak. Yeah, without doubt. I mean, it's um... – you know, I see to you know, I'm lucky enough now to advise a number of coaches, support, uh, kind of mentor, be in the back, in the kind of backroom former in the corner. And one of the things I'll say is, you know, you need the parents on side, and you know that when you become a parent yourself, and um, because you love your kids, you want the best for them. But we don't know if my son was going to say to my dad, I want to be a professional footballer. I have no idea what it takes to be a pro footballer. So I would certainly need the coach and look for the coach to help me fill in the blanks. And the same with golf. So the, the coaches I kind of support now in, in the back, in, in the corner, for them I'll say, you know, need the parents on side. Parent education, have open evenings, get them involved, talk through your programme, talk through the research, you know, about behind successful sports parents. Um, WhatsApp groups, get them all involved, get them online in the group and watch the interaction, be involved yourself and help guide the parents to become the ideal sports parents they become. Not all will join in. Um, not all will be open for, let's say, the coach influences or the coach advice. But certainly, I think coaches, we do need the parents in the room. We need, we need the parents in the tent with us to help the athletes uh, reach their potential, have fun along the way, and enjoy the journey. Yeah, for sure, it's uh, it's, it's it's extremely important to have those those parents on side because if they're not, um, the the parents certainly have more pull than the coach as a general rule. So they'll tend to override what the what the coach is saying. So, um, extremely important to to get them on the on the on the the same side as the coach. So yeah, and you, now, you know, Brent. Sorry, sorry, just briefly there. Sorry, I mean, and for younger coaches, I'm still wearing fifty. I'm, and I'm just scratching the surface, but you can learn a heck of a lot from parents as well. You know, yeah. you'll have parents that come in, maybe they've been a sports coach, maybe they've been a businessman or a businesswoman, and they can help you with the structure. Um, so having them on board is a great advantage as well, not just to to help them, but they can help us through their experiences in life as well. Yeah, for sure. It's a, it just um, it's a, it can be a win-win situation between having the having the parents on side or fighting against you. Absolutely. Now. Well, I've heard you speak a few times. You've done some work for the Australian PGA over the 
over the last couple of years doing some presentations. Um, and you've got a, a couple of terms on your website that are not traditional golf coaching terms that I would think. So I'm yeah. interested to hear what is transition coaching and performance coaching and what the difference is between the two and why do you advertise it as, as that type of coaching as opposed to the normal coaching terms that golf pros tend to use? Yeah, great. I mean, again, goes back to my master's study and that kind of learning um, curve or learning mountain I went up when I did my master's in, in 2016. So if I look at that, that study, um, my master's and the nine Walker Cup players and their non-success and their stories, why? So they were in transition. And transition is basically a kind of major change in your life. Um, it could be us becoming parents, uh, losing a parent, um, changing jobs, moving home. And certainly a major transition is from an, of an amateur turns pro. You know, that is a change of life. So that's a change of how they see the world. And with transition, so that transition business I developed was to help um, athletes, footballers have, have helped in the past, going into retirement, golfers turning professional. Um, I've assisted a, a few business people who are looking to change career path. That is negotiating that change of um, status or change of position in life, Brent. Right? So transition is me about helping athletes get there. Either let's go from amateur golf to professional golf. And a couple of footballers I've, I've helped with was going from playing to retiring. And the business people have helped was basically them retiring or changing career track. Okay. Okay. And within the transition, I've got kind of one um, major uh, academic. I go back to uh, Natalia Stambulova, who's a Russian professor now up in, in Sweden. And she is kind of one of the godfathers, mothers, whatever you want to call it, of the transition process in sport. And she's got a fairly similar, but uh, a fairly simple, very hard-hitting formula for creating or making successful transition. And the formula is um, for every barrier an athlete perceives, there needs to be a coping resource or solution to that barrier. Okay, and I guess a little more complicated. And the other part of the, the kind of formula looks at the holistic nature of learning, which is, you know, that, that how we live. That's the biopsychosocial model. So let's see, um, let's talk about Ian Peak. So I have my biology, which is my fitness, my movements. Let's say how I swing the golf club. My psychology is how I see the world, how I see my golf game as a player, how I envisage myself going forward. And my social side, again, is, is, my, is all the people around me, Brent. Okay? Mm-hmm. And that, for me, is the holistic side of coaching. This is kind of what I do when I advise my clients and my players and, and, and my business people around me. So, so the big map of my life, map this life jigsaw, consists of my biology, my psychology, and my social world of sociology. Okay? And if I'm going to transition from amateur to pro golf, I need to be aware as a player, an athlete, what are the barriers for me to make the successful transition? A typical barrier I've had in the past would be, let's say a player doesn't hit the ball far enough to turn pro. He knows he starts, let's call it a young guy, and he hits it 250, 250 yards. And we know that's kind of 50 yards too short to probably make it on tour nowadays going forward. Okay? 
So as long as he hits it 250, it's unlikely he will make the tour. That's the barrier. So the coping resource is what can we do for this player to gain substantial length? Part of it may be okay, he's trapped my numbers with the driver, maybe getting stronger, improving his mechanics. But the point that Stabio over goes back to some of the things I use in my transition coaching is if he is away or she, I don't hit the ball far enough, if that bothers them, we need to find a solution for that so it won't, no longer bothers them. Right? Yeah. Sociology, you could say a similar player, let's say um, an elite athlete, a girl, and she's having problems with a boyfriend or a partner. It's impact on the performance. As long as that problem is there and she turns pro and the boyfriend doesn't want her to travel and wants her to stay at home, that stone in her shoe, Brent, will, as a barrier, will stop her getting on the tour. So we need to find a solution with the boyfriend, with the partner, to allow her to go and play happily. And the great thing with Stambi Ove, she's a fantastic lady, was her kind of great, for me, her great influence is we need to find solutions to all the barriers. And then transition happens, basically when the pathway is as clear as possible and the pathway is determined by the player. If the player says, I think this is diff this is an issue for me, this is giving me trouble, we need to find a solution for that that barrier. Okay? Yeah. With performance coaching, it's different. They look at players at the top of their game and say, okay, how can we stay at the top of your game? So these are people on the tour, playing professional football, got a big business. But also with them, we look at their biopsychosocial model look at the pieces of the model and say, okay, what's working well? Where do you feel it might be a little bit creaky? What do we need to do to stay ahead of the game? So it could be further education. It could be better staff engagement. It could be having more time off because when generally when top business people have time off, they become more creative and have better ideas. It could be involving uh, their understudy more in the day-to-day -day side of the business to allow them to kind of pass on some responsibility. So in a, a nutshell, transition coaching is helping people make the step ahead. And performance coaching is about those at the top of the game. What do they need to do in their own, through their own eyes to stay ahead of the game? What are the kind of little extras, the kind of marginal gains we can put into place to keep them ahead of the ahead of the rest. No, that 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 makes sense, and that's certainly a complete coaching process, which is really cool. Um, probably the biggest thing that jumps out at me straight away is if you're going to do that type of coaching, which is what we should be doing if we are going to be high quality coaches, is you need to understand the person standing in front of you. You need to have a clear understanding of who that person is and what issues they may have or what problems they may have or it isn't just about golf swing anymore it's all about the the other stuff that gets in the way you know it's not i mean again i've got to keep myself in check sometimes you know if you have this bias and you have a kind of blind spot elsewhere and i'll come back to something just in a second but without doubt in my opinion my research kind of rack my head every day the better player becomes um, the more we need to become aware of the other stuff off the course. Yeah. Even if it's on course, what's happening on course, the reaction to a bad shot, 
the interaction with a caddy, if it's a junior player, the presence of the parents at tournaments, um, their equipment, um, the influence of the golf union, the influence of the coach, the influence of the S&C coach, how are the golf coach and the S&C coach working together? Is there a power struggle between the caddy and the, and the coach? Is there a power struggle between the coach and the management company? So certainly equipment, um, sorry, me- mechanics are always there. You know, the, the biopsychosocial means biological means how do I move the club? How do I put, how do I chip? That's all part of the equation. But in my experience and my research, the more elite a player becomes, the more the coach and the player need to be aware of what about the other stuff? What about the psychological stuff? What about the social stuff? Who's my team? How does it work together? Um, who's the right kind of caddy for me? What are the changing roles of my coach? How do I balance between my life partner and my parents? You know, who becomes more influential? So it's a, it is a minefield. It's a jigsaw with a thousand pieces. And um, yes, I, I agree. If I'm keeping my, balance, my, my biases in check, a coach, in my opinion, going forward, we need to be involved in the big picture of the player to understand how performance really happens. Yeah, for sure. Now, is there a sport out there that does this really well or are they all kind of struggling with this? Um, oh, again, I, I don't know about sports. I mean, I've got to say, I think there's some um, great stuff happening in Canada within golf. Yeah. Um, and again, there's some good, great stuff in the UK because I'm aware of the research. You're showing I've got some great researchers as well. Um, I think generally, I think we can all, sport has a long way to go. And, I, you know, I'm not pointing fingers or bullets. I'm as guilty as anyone. But certainly, I think sports coaching, in my opinion, this is the next frontier. You know, I listen to a lot of podcasts now. I'm out jogging most days. And even here, a lot of, of, of experienced coaches, um, they're talking about biomechanics and 3D and force plates. It's nice, Brent, but that's not the future. We know that already. Yeah. The future yep. is, the, in my opinion, the holistic nature of who we are. And I, I think you and I have talked a couple of times in the past about children. And, and if there's one thing that makes you appreciate the big picture of development is having kids and being around kids. And you see that whole interaction of how they're learning, how they fit into the world, how they're seeing the world, and our involvement with them as, as parents, as loving parents. Do you think, as a as a sport, golf golf is going to struggle with this because of the fact that it's been an individual sport for so long? Um, it's always kind of been the player, and then it's kind of shifted to the player and the coach. And do you think it's going to be hard for us to take on that 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 team type of setup as 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 golf? Well, I think it's happening already. Um... Again, if we go back a, a couple of steps, and you and I discussed, think back to our past. So you and I became PG professionals. We both loved the game as players, and we did a PG training, which is great. And obviously, when we become coaches, we bring our past with us, and we bring our education with us. And you know, I'm involved now with the PGs of Europe and the, um, the PG of Great Britain and Ireland in, in education as well as with yourself in Australia, and I do some stuff with Canada, which is great. So but certainly we're all based, our kind of in, output is based on our past, what we've learned. 
So I think the big thing going forward is that as our education programs evolve, this kind of stuff will become more standard. I hope to help along the way in some small way as I can. And I say the, the mechanics will remain part of the package, without doubt. The ball is going to fly from A to B in, in some, some way. But the big picture of coaching, I think, will become more standard just as our, our education improves and evolves. And I see it happening already. Um, and obviously a great thing you see Justin Rose talking about his team or that you know top players discussing Sean Foley of his interaction with other people within his with, within Justin Rose's team. Um, so things are changing and improving. It's certainly not mainstream because um, it hasn't been in our, our education kind of forefront. I think it's coming. I'm sure it's coming. Um, and yeah. it's there. The education's there. The, the, the research is there. I see. I can hope. I hope I can help a little bit in the years to come. Yeah, I certainly think it is that generational change. So the the players, the the coaches coming out of the the training programs now will be across this type of stuff from 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 the start, basically. So I yeah. think there'll be a, a a lot more of this stuff coming out there as we as we go along. So. I really like those ideas, and I'm um, I'm going to be stealing a few of those for my own coaching. I think because I'll, I'll be definitely going down that pathway as well. Well, you know, a couple of things. There's nothing new. I mean, I'm, I'm just uh, passing on what I've learned and my own experiences on it. So I'm happy to share with with any of your your listeners um, via Twitter or, or via your good self in the future. And something I would say as well for all coaches um, to get the kind of big picture. You know, just sit down privately with with your, your students and say, you know, tell me about your golf and tell me how you see your golf. Um, tell me how you see me as a coach and then just listen. And, it, you know, the, the students, doesn't matter if they're 16 or 66, they will surprise, probably surprise a lot of coaches with what they say. But you'll say, you know, what do you like about my coaching? What don't you like about my coaching? And then give them a chance to reply and wait and, and let them talk for as long as they want. And it'd be very, I think a lot of coaches would be surprised with what the athletes say are key helpers with them on their journeys. Um, so I would say to your listeners, try that and, and uh, you may be surprised on the feedback. And that should obviously help the coach, guide the coach to how they can help the players best, the athletes best. Yeah, no, that that is that is great advice, and we'll certainly get to more of those questions as we go along. But you also <laughs> offer you also offer online coaching programs. So you do that for coaches and for players, or just for coaches? Yeah, no, I do. I mean, it's um, interesting. You know, I've, see, I've been in coach education since two thousand four, and um, it's a fantastic journey, and it's also always pushed me to continue to learn. I think you can go and do coach education unless you're kind of an, an avid learner yourself otherwise your message will become boring people have heard it before you so you need to keep pushing the dial to learn new material to be able to pass on to your clients and um had a bit of an uh a, a, a high effect or a bit of a an epiphany back in 2018 when i saw a few of my face-to-face seminars weren't taking place and i asked my clients you know you know, have I done something wrong? What's happened? I no, it's the, it's the birth of the podcast and the webinar, as you and I are talking today. And none of us have got enough time. Uh, we're all busy. We all want to be flexible. And so that was my decision in 2018, really, to transfer a lot of my FaceTime seminars I've done in Holland or, or Germany or Switzerland or, or whatever, Dubai, 
to um, online, as we are talking today. And I kind of was forced into it. Let's see, um, necessity is the mother of all invention. I just saw a couple of seminars weren't happening. I thought, okay, it's time to change. So I started, um, I guess, last year, end of 18, early 19, to do my, my online stuff. And I have a number of clients who are on a monthly package for support. These are coaches, players. Um, and I do, um, you know, on-demand consultancy sessions with management companies, uh, people within the golfing federations, just looking for little bits of advice regarding development and performance, transition, and staying at the top of the game. And really enjoy it. As myself, did a webinar last night. Um, I've got a, a course at the moment called The Essential Guide to Coaching with uh, 33 clients. And we did a webinar last night. And again, look at the big picture of coaching. Really enjoy that. And then we have, similar to our discussion today, we have chats in between sessions to, to make it personal, find out the, the needs of each individual client. And that's that's it. It's coaches and players, almost everyone involved within the golf industry, and a few people out with as well, just looking at transition and, and optimizing their performance. Now that is awesome. I just think it's in this day and age, everyone wants everything on demand, and everything wants to be able to access anything anywhere they want to go. Um, so that ability to to get coaching whether it's a, as a coach from a different coach or for, as a player from a from a coach as well, anywhere you want and at any time is um, is really cool. So I'd certainly like that idea. Well, I mean, again, your podcast, I was going to go back before, just a quick one and how things change. So um, at the start of this year, I, um, I was aware of my kind of, again, going off in one direction with the studies and it was all a bit um, – psycho and socially based you know, psychology and sociology you need to get back to some and some other stuff and, and the advent of the podcast now listen to your podcast as well on the go if you're out for a jog in the morning different information so that's been great as well for my ongoing education so again what you're doing here is, is great for me again on demand i can listen to your podcast other podcasts when i want without having to take a day off and, and tra- travel or fly to, to hear someone speak. So I think that's the future, yeah. as we know. The future's here now. Yeah, no, that's really cool. And as I, and I get a chance to speak to really good coaches from around the world, so that's always a good thing for me as well. So I, yes. I get to, to, um, to steal information and steal, steal people's ideas, which is really cool. I <laughs> see. There's nothing – I don't think there's too much original nowadays. We're all just sharing. Yeah, no, and I, I think it's, and I've always found, and I'm assuming you've always found the same thing that the the good operators in the world are always happy to share their information. I've had um, great experience with high profile coaches being happy to share things and talk about coaching all the time, which is really great. Yeah, it's it's funny, you know. I see if I've been involved in coach education for fifteen years, the people that come to my seminars, the people that sign up to my webinars, they don't need it. It's it's you know it's like. They're just filling up the tank, which is already full. I mean, we, we all need it, but it's like the, the ladies and gents that are really struggling business-wise, they're not online. They don't come to the courses. And um, it is, you know, what's the word? It's the, that kind of that, that beautiful circle of going round and round. They tend to be at the top of the game anyway. Adding to the skill sets takes them further ahead. And um, it is, you know... When I put a webinar, seminar, um, and the people sign up, I'm always kind of chuffed or humbled who signs up. I think, wow, you're at the top of the game already. If we can help you a little bit, that's um, fantastic. Yeah, and, it's, and, and that is probably the 
frustrating thing about coach education is the fact that the the guys that do need it the most are the ones that don't tend to come out and 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 do it. It's the ones that are already at the top that are, are doing that extra training as well. So no, that that is that is certainly true. So um, we're just about out of time. Yeah, you know, I think we've um, we've flown through this. This has gone really really well. So um, <laughs> thank you again for your for your time today. But I've got I've got a fast four questions that I ask everybody that comes okay. on the podcast. So uh-huh. I think you've covered off on some of it as we've gone right. through the chat. But um, I wouldn't mind getting your thoughts on on these questions. So advice for coaches starting out. What would be the best piece of advice you can give to a coach that's starting out in, in the golf coaching field? Um, a, a couple of things. Um, your why will change given time, but what really ticks your boxes? What do you really enjoy as a coach? Um, I think for most new coaches, it understand it would be elite players, hoping to become a tour coach, um, elite juniors, that's fine. So if, if you identify your why really know what what turns me on as a coach. And I've identified your why. Look for mentors and role models. Uh, you can go and visit and see or learn from. See, there's nothing new. Um, and that that will help speed up your, your learning process massively. Don't just go to one, but go to a couple, two, three, four. You know, be prepared to pay for the experience. And that will fill up your knowledge box as quick as you can do. So I say that would be two things. Identify what you really love and to grow your skills in that area, seek out mentors and role models um, that can really help you move on as, as quick as you can. And your why will change, that's great. But really to speed up your knowledge, get lots of practice and lots of observation and ask lots of questions of those that kind of have, have um, trodden the path before you. Now that seems to be a, a common common answer to that question is spending yeah. time with with high 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 quality coaches. I think that makes a makes a huge difference out there. And as as, as we've said through the whole podcast today, there's it's so easy to access people's information these days. You can get it online. You can talk to people. You can hear them on hear them on podcasts. You can hear them present online. There's um, it's there is zero excuse for getting out there and seeing how different guys do it. So certainly great advice there. Yeah, no, fantastic. And again, maybe look for contradictions as well, Brendan's nice, you know, like well, if you, if, if you you know, look at one guy's school of thought and then look at the other side, they're different. Okay, what's best for me? Are they both right? So I guess be critical as well, you know, nicely critical. Look at the, the, the experts and why does he do that? Why does someone do, do something else? And through that kind of, mix of information can kind of form your own um, formula as it were your own kind of brand your own your own um, style yep through those experiences yeah which is great there's like there's there's you'll always come across golf coaches that do things that you don't agree with but there'll there'll be a situation where you'll you'll find yourself in front of a student and something that that person did that you didn't agree with will work for that student i think so yeah. it, it's certainly good to be be across all those all the different schools of thought out there when it comes yeah. to come to golf coaching so um, on from that advice for golfers out there so hopefully we'll get a few golfers tuning into the podcast as well so what's the best piece of advice for the golfers out there trying to improve their games um in my in my opinion at this stage um, get your coach and have them 
watch you play nine holes. That would be my start point. So you want to improve your game, you go to your coach, yeah, I want to get down from handicap 18 to 12. Let the coach go and walk nine holes with you. Just observe. They maybe video you, take notes, ask a few questions. And that first nine holes will give the coach so much relevant information to improve the game. Don't start on the range. Don't start with a video lesson. If you want to improve your handicap, you want to improve your on-course performance, let the coach watch you play. And from that nine-hole observation lesson, then the coach will have a, a formula plan which could last easily six to eight months. Then you work out your plan with the coach, how much time do you have to play and practice, and what have been the steps to improve, what's kind of your your, your long-term goal for getting better. Start yeah, the course, let the coach watch you, and from that first experience, those nine holes or six holes, then let the coach develop a, an improvement plan based on your on-course performance. I think that's great advice. I've, I've I found I find with my own students that they they get on the driving range and they haven't got a target and they swing differently. They play differently, but when they're on the golf course, they're they're trying to to score, and you tend to see what is really going on and which part of their their games are stronger and which part of their games are the weakest. Yeah, absolutely. Great on advice. course stuff. If if the goal is to improve your handicap, you can only do it on the course. You can only do it in a tournament. Let the pro, let your coach watch you play. And from there, with all due respect, you'll have a, a mini book full of, of good tips and improvements that you'll put into place step by step over the course of your, your learning journey. I've always found it interesting as a, as a coach and as a sport in golf that we – it's probably one of the only few sports where you actually start on a, on a practice area as opposed to starting on the playing area. So if you oh, – That's you, a whole um, new podcast, Brent. It is because if you like, if, if you start playing cricket, you play cricket. If you start playing football, you play football on the on the ground and then you, you know, do some training as you go along. But essentially all the training is done on the on the sporting arena, whereas in golf we, we tend to go to the practice range to, to learn how to play as opposed to going onto the golf course to learn. Oh dear, and there is that, you know, there is that big disconnect between the range and the course, a different environment, you know, we talk about ecological psychology, dynamic systems theory, all the good stuff that says, you know, you will become the player you are depending on your background, where you're playing, the size of the basketball court, and um, if you're a, a big range player, in my opinion, you become better in the range, but there'll be a minimal transfer or a smaller transfer to the course than you wish. Uh, yeah. And on the tour play, it's 500 balls. It then goes and plays 18 holes. Um, and I see that, you know, as a range owner, I own the range at my facility in Germany. And rightly or wrongly, I spend half my time chasing people onto the course. They get off, go and play now. You know, yeah. go and, go and you know, take the, the car for a, a spin on the racetrack. Just don't stay in the pits. Take it out there and test it. Um, yeah. And again, go back to you know how elite players learn and asking the journeys. Almost all start on the course and find the range later on to fine tune the mechanics to improve. But those early, early learning experiences to to become let's say an elite standard, they're mostly been on course, on track, as with the footballer, as with the basketball player. And it's it's almost kind of too obvious to to, to have that in denial. <laughs> but yeah, the range. See, the, the birth of the range was maybe the death of a lot of good golf. 
Yeah, I think we should park that that topic, and we might come back to it at a <laughs> at a yes. different stage because yeah, it yeah. could become a it could become a three hour podcast if we start going down that path. Sorry. So, <laughs> no, that that was I I brought it up, so it was certainly my fault. So, um, would you change anything in your career path? So, would you do if you had the chance to go back and change something? Would you do anything differently as, as you've gone through? Um. Oh, it, it's kind of tough, you know. You, you don't know what you don't know. Um, I guess the only thing I would say now is, say, being a, a fifty-one-year-old doing a PhD. I guess if I could have gone to uni a bit quicker, um, not not from school because the option wasn't there, but maybe when I was in maybe mid thirties, I would have said it been further ahead. But seeing that, what I was doing at that time was good fun as well. I was doing uh, developed golf training aids and had a good business with that. I was learning a lot from other golf coaches. So I think the only thing I would I would see is maybe um, now being a, having three small children, if I'd gone to uni earlier to do my PhD, it would have been easier. But, you know, I've had a great run. I'm the luckiest guy on earth. So on the whole, um, you know, I've had a, a, I'm having a great career and I love what I'm doing. Um, and I've, my basket's full. You know, my glass is 98% full. So I'm a lucky guy. Yeah. No, that that's cool. And being a forty-four-year-old golf pro doing his PhD as well, I certainly uh, get where you're coming from, and that would probably be the biggest change I would make as well. I would tend to go into tertiary study earlier than I did as well. So yeah. I, would, I certainly, I, I certainly get where you're coming from. Yeah, and I think again that's part of the education. The more and more of us are doing it now, and that will change. I think help golf coach education hopefully move on. That more guys like yourself and myself, there's a, a few great guys here in the UK um, doing PhD studies as well. That'll maybe start to roll the ball on, on coach education as well, that we'll go into higher education, tertiary education more often and quicker. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's cool. So final question with the podcast is, yes, and you've answered this as you've gone along pretty much as well, but anything you'd like to add, so where do you see yourself and the coaching field in five years' time? Um, well, again, I see. I hope I can help in in that small piece of performance and transition. Um, looking at our athletes as as complicated individuals as we are. So um, the mechanical stuff it will always be there. That's fine. But improving golfing performance by looking at almost all our athletes holistically. So as a coach. Um, I would be aware of some of the psychology of the game and of, of my clients, as well as the, the social positioning, how their, their kind of social life is, and tying those pieces together to help improve performance. And I say I hope that's the way the golf industry can go, coaching can go, that's my passion. And I hope to, to help a little bit on that journey of, of making golf coaching more holistic and viewing every player as an, an individual, as a complex individual, rather than someone moving a golf club. Yeah, no, that, that is great. And hopefully people like yourself will be pushing that, pushing golf coaching down that pathway for years to come. So I, I certainly am excited for how, how much your research and, and passion for coaching is there. And hopefully it will continue to evolve over time as you find more things to study and research and we'll, um, and we'll keep improving the coaching process. Yeah, I think, yeah, try my best. And I say, I've always loved learning. That's the big thing. You know, learning is passing it on. 
uh, learnings for me, awesome learning new stuff is nothing more exciting within my my day to day work than learning new materials. I thought that's I didn't know that before, and how does that fit into my kind of coaching? No, that that's really cool. So thank you so much for your time today, Ian. I really appreciate it. Where can people find you if they if they if they're going to hunt you down? Yeah, it'd be great. I'm probably best found on at uh, at on Twitter at Ian Peak Coaching or uh, one word all written together. Uh, otherwise, t and um, t and p coaching dot com is my website. T and p or one word t and p coaching dot com is my my website as well. No, that's good. I'll put some links in the description for the episode so everyone can find you and um, yeah, can check out your online coaching coaching programs. There's a few Australians doing it at the moment I know of, so hopefully wow, you're, you're getting great. some they're getting some good value out of it. So again, Ian, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. And um, we'll, have to, we'll have to get you back on at some stage to delve into a bit more of that on-course coaching as opposed to range coaching. Yeah, my pleasure. Brent, enjoyed it. Yeah, it was great. Thanks, mate. Speak soon. Take care, buddy. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.